Uh, so this morning, I want to start with a question. How's your prayer life? I'm just thinking about your prayer life. Because um, there, there is nothing more important than a strong, vibrant prayer life in the life of the believer. It is our means of, of connecting with God, of fellowshipping with God. It's, it's the key expression of our relationship with God. And it just brings such a, a vitality to our spiritual life that without prayer, we do not have. But the struggle is real, right? You're like, oh man, oh, Matthew, we're starting on this right off, aren't we? Um, and and I, there's so many ways, so many things that prevent us from praying. Like different thoughts that come to mind or different... And it could be thoughts like, God wouldn't hear my prayer. Like, what, I'm here in, in Denver, little old, old me, like, God, my past, God's not going to hear my prayer. Or, or my prayer's not going to make any difference if I, if I pray. Or, or what if I don't, oftentimes I just don't, I don't feel it. Matthew, I don't feel it. I don't feel that, that deep connection with God. And so why, why pray? And um, C.S. Lewis was one of the, the great theologians, great well, necessarily a theologian, but great Christian thinkers of the last century. And he wrote a, a book called The Screwtape Letters. And in The Screwtape Letters, what, he's, what he does is there's, there's two main characters and there's two demons. It's a conversation between two demons. And it's a senior level demon, like upper management level demon, writes letters to his understudy. And, and they're talking about the patient. And the patient is a, a recently... Um, come to Jesus person. In fact, the person had, had, had been part of the church when they were little, but as an adult had come back, and in this under, uh, under-level demon had been assigned to this patient to keep, keep him weak, to, to help, him, help him doubt his, his faith. And in one of the letters, um, the, the upper management demon, you're like, I got one of those at work. I know what you're talking about. Um, he writes about prayer to, the under, to his understudy. And I just want to read just, just a brief uh, paragraph from the screw tape letter. So this is the, the upper level demon writing to the lower level. The amateurs, no, I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not doing that. So anyway, here we go. Uh, there's an audio book dramatized if you want more like that by Andy Serkis, actually. Um, the amateur's suggestions in your last letter warn me that it is high time for me to write you fully on the painful subject of prayer. The best thing where possible is to keep the patient, remember that's the new Christian, from the serious intention of praying altogether. When the patient is an adult recently reconverted to the enemy's party, the enemy is God, recently converted to the enemy's party like your man, this is best done by encouraging him to remember or think he remembers, the parrot-like nature of his prayers in childhood. In reaction against that, he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, unregularized. And what this will actually mean to a beginner will be an effort to produce in him a vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part. So in other words, a prayer that is unfocused and haphazard and just based on feeling. At the very least, they can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to the prayers, for they constantly forget. What you must always remember, that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. If this fails, you must fall back on a subtler misdirection of his intention. Whenever they are tending to the enemy himself, 
we are defeated. I like that part. Whenever they are attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. But there are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest is to turn their gaze away from him towards themselves. Keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings there by action of their own wills. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. Right? We've all had those thoughts like, I'm just not feeling it. My prayers aren't going anywhere. That's, and that stops us from praying. Anyway, and then last bit. But of course, the enemy will not meantime be idle. Wherever there is prayer, there is a danger of his own immediate action. To human animals on their knees, he pours out self-knowledge in a quite shameless fashion. That's what God does. He pours out himself to us in prayer. And prayer, I believe, is at the center of a spiritual battle, and our enemy knows it and, and wants to keep us from praying at all, all cost, at all cost. And so we've been taking a few weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer, and you're like, Matthew, I want to pray. I'm not sure where to start. Well, we've been, been uh, studying the Lord's Prayer in order to learn how, how to pray. Uh, and it's been our habit to read from a different version each week. And today I want to read from the King James Version, but the 1611 King James Version. So I believe it will be on the, on the screen, yeah. After this manner, therefore, pray ye... Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And you're looking, there's a lot of typos there. That's how it was written. So we just copied it directly. Um, and today we're continuing to look at verse 12. Last week I tried to get through it. I couldn't, so we're going to come back to verse 12 this week, which says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the more I've been... Um, Studying this verse, the more I realize, like, uh, we're, we're just scratching the surface of what God has for us in forgiveness. And I'm going to finish up on forgiveness today and, and move on. But again, this is just like a, a primer. There, there is so much when it comes to the believer and forgiveness. And so I just want to recap uh, just briefly last week and, and get us up to speed. So we looked at the first part, uh, forgive us our debts. Forgiveness is at the heart of the kingdom movement. The, the kingdom of God comes into our lives when we embrace God's forgiveness. I mean, without forgiveness, life uh, has, has very little of, of substance to it. I mean, there, there isn't a, a fancy restaurant you could go to for a meal. There isn't a, a vacation destination you could go to. There isn't a bank account. There isn't a degree that could be conferred upon you that will ease a guilty conscience. All those other things are just dust in our hands that, that fade away and have no meaning if, if we have not experienced God's forgiveness. Now, and again, some, sometimes we push back. Like, Matthew, we, you don't know where I've been. You don't know how many times I've promised God, God, I'll never. But then again, I, I, I just come back to my old self. And how could God forgive me? I'm, I'm thankful for the scriptures. Uh, Psalm 103 is... The first few verses are one of my favorites. Says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, some versions say iniquities, and heals all your diseases. Do you know who, who wrote that psalm? David. David. King David. King David had, had a lot of good things um, to commend to himself. But if, you, if King David were alive today, we would have uh, canceled him a long time ago. Like we, we would have deleted him from our profile. We would have disassociated ourselves from him because he was a man of failure. Uh, he, he committed adultery at the least, rape, some think, in that culture. Bathsheba had no choice and then conspired to kill her husband, who was not an enemy, but one of his most loyal men. Has, has him killed. Doesn't, doesn't realize what, what he's done. He's, he's confronted. So, uh, but then, like you see things in his family just spiral out of control. He is an incompetent father. Um, one of his sons rapes one of his daughters, who is the half-sister of the son. Another son then kills that son and then sets himself up as king, and David has to run for his life. David's men rally behind him. His son is eventually killed. And David mourns so much for his son that the men who were on David's side, like, they're like, oh, we, we thought we wanted this, but the way you're acting, and they, they slink into and his, his life. And David pens Psalm 103. It, and it could be after all that's taken place. And when he begins to think about, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, I don't think he had to think long, like, what are the benefits? He forgives all my sins. And we still sing Psalm 103 in our churches. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Uh, again, if, if David were around today, we would cancel that song. We wouldn't sing it because of who David was, but he was forgiven. Uh, so David writes this, this psalm, it's an encouragement to us, and, and maybe we should add a, another verse to that song about uh, don't forget his benefits, he forgives all your iniquity, bless his holy name. Um, so when you say, Matthew, my past, I don't deserve God's forgiveness, welcome, welcome to the family of those who don't deserve God's forgiveness. First John verse, uh, chapter 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, that's a nice verse <laughs> added in there. Uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, so the second part is what I want to focus on this week, forgiving our debtors. And we read it earlier, but oftentimes we stop the Lord's Prayer uh, after for thine is the power, and we stop there. But the very next verse, Matthew 6, verse 14, says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now that sounds like our forgiveness is based on our, uh, our own forgiving others. It sounds like our forgiveness is a bit works-based. And, and as uh, Protestants, um, 
in the tradition of, of Martin Luther and the other reformers, like that is decidedly not what we want to hear. Right? We, we want to hear uh, it's faith alone and Christ alone. And so when we come to this verse, we have to, have to wrestle with the words of Jesus. It's not like we can just ignore what Jesus is saying. Somehow, somehow, our being forgiven by God is, is closely connected with how we forgive others. And, and our tendency is to separate the two when I think what we're to do is, is keep them close together. And so what are we to do with this connection of our, our forgiveness to, to our being forgiven? And first, I think the order here is important. The order is receiving God's forgiveness and then forgiving, uh, forgiving others. Um, and that is the gospel. This is what we see in Scripture, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. And so God's uh, forgiveness for our sins always comes first. That, that is the, the order. But what comes first cannot be separated from what comes second. What comes first cannot be separated from what comes second. Uh, and it's the same connection that we see in the, in the book of James, which says faith without works is dead. Our, our, our faith is in Christ alone, but we have a faith that works. A, a faith, there, is, there should be fruit from our repentance. Scripture talks about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And one of the fruits of being forgiven is that we are able to forgive. That is one of the fruits, one of the demonstrations in our life that we have been forgiven. And so in this prayer, Jesus has told us to pray that his name would be kept holy, that his will would be done, that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And then we get to this portion of the prayer, and, and I think we separate even this portion of the prayer from the first portion of the prayer. But this is really what God's kingdom coming looks like. It looks like forgiveness coming. And God's name is hallowed. His will is done. His kingdom has come among us when his forgiven people are also his forgiving people. That's when you know that God's kingdom has come among you, is that we are a forgiving people. Um, and Jesus knows that... Uh, Jesus knows that we are going to offend one another. Yes? <laughs> um, he, he knows that we're going to have an opportunity to practice forgiveness and that we're going to have disagreements. Um, and unless we're able to forgive one another, we have no chance at being a community that reflects God's kingdom. And so I, want, I just want to make two points about forgiving those who trespassed against us. And I want to make that in light of that we are not yet what we are going to be. Like we, we have been saved, but we are going to be saved finally. We shall be, like the scripture says, when we see Christ, we will be like him. We're not like him yet. And so this is, this is a process. This is a journey for all of us. But the first thing about forgiveness is that forgiving is not easy. You're like, thanks, Matthew. All right. Thank you for that one. I uh, already knew that. Um, but, I mean, think about, I mean, most of us have someone in our life who has, has done us wrong. I mean, and some, some worse than others. And uh, it is not easy to forgive. And, and the greater the, the offense towards you, the, the more difficult it is to forgive, right? You, you've experienced that. Um, forgiving is not easy. And when, when we say we're forgiving someone, we're making a conscious decision not to hold the grudge against them, not to retaliate, uh, and to do good in return for evil. And it's not easy. Uh, and, and this 
also means that forgiveness is not um, just brushing over the wrongdoing. It's not saying, well, it never happened, no big deal, don't worry about it. Uh, that, that is not Christian. That is not Jesus. Jesus was not afraid to call sin and wickedness what it was. And so we're not, we're not just brushing things over. Um, we, we call it, we name it, it's right there, it's horrible, it was wrong, it was stupid, it was, it was selfish. God doesn't just brush over our sins like a, a benevolent grandfather, right? So, and that's what we think God does, is, is like this benevolent, benevolent grandfather who just like, no big deal, no big deal about your, your sins. Uh, so for example, let's say, let's say you had a, a four-year-old daughter. This is, not, this is not my daughter, my daughter's three, okay? <clears throat> she turns four tomorrow, all right? <laughs> but let's say, and let's say she had a benevolent grandfather, not my dad, this just totally uh, happens to, to just fit the illustration, all right? Uh, and let's say said benevolent grandfather is with the four-year-old granddaughter, and, and you come, come home, and um, you've just been out on a romantic date with your wife. You've treated her like a queen. Uh, and my wife is like, this is definitely a made-up story. Um, I don't think she's in here, so we're good. Um, where was I? I, know I was gonna th- ah, oh, yes. But you come home from said romantic dinner, and like, how did it go? And, and the benevolent grandfather's like, it was great. Uh, Benet was fine. Um, <laughs> you know, she, she scribbled on the couch with markers. And then, and then she, she tore up a few pictures from the wedding album. And that, this is made up. I'm, this is not, I'm just so... But it's a possibility. Um, and, then, and then she was playing with Play-Doh, put it in the DVD player, real nice, science experiment. But don't worry about it, no big deal. I gave her some ice cream, Tootsie Pop, she's in bed. That's a benevolent grandfather. There is no justice there. And, and I think we, when we come to God, I, I think sometimes we think he just kind of brushes over our sin and it's no big deal when we don't understand the gravity, the gravity of our sin. And if you're the one that has been hurt, then you rightfully want justice. I mean, that, that says something about us. It says something about our creator that we want justice. And, and so God doesn't just look over our sin, but his, his punishment on the cross, on Christ, does forgive us our sins. His justice was satisfied on the cross. So forgiving is not easy. And in forgiving, we choose to release our right to full recompense and getting even. And, and we shouldn't confuse the emotions of forgiveness with the act of forgiveness. There's a difference between the two. And, and just because we're not totally free of the pain of being betrayed or being wrong doesn't mean that we haven't forgiven. And doesn't mean um, that we haven't forgiven the one who has trespassed against us. And, and part of the joy that awaits us when we see Jesus one day is that our emotions will finally catch up with the facts. That we have been forgiven, even at those times when we don't feel like we've been forgiven. And the times when we don't feel like we've necessarily forgiven the one, eventually our uh, emotions will catch up. So forgiving doesn't mean there's no consequences. It doesn't mean that the person that um, sinned against you, that you're best friends again. Because forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. 
Forgiveness only requires one person. Reconciliation requires two people. Uh, Forgiveness only requires one, as Jesus on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, Because you can forgive the other person without the other person even being sorry. Without the other person even asking for forgiveness, you can forgive the other person. That is Christian forgiveness. Um, It it says, I'm going to choose to give up that right because Jesus gave up that right. I'm going to see you as a person made in the image of God, still with dignity. I don't want to be in the same room with you, but I'm going to choose not, I'm going to pray for your best. That is forgiveness. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud, he has a PhD in clinical psychology, best-selling author of a number of books, the Boundary Books, Boundaries with Kids, Boundaries with, with Everybody, Boundaries with Your Pets. That, I'm going to write that one. Um, and he, he, he gives three, just three um, things about forgiveness to keep in mind. And I believe I'll have these on the screen here. But first is that forgiveness has to do with the past. It's not holding something from the past over somebody's head. It's, it's letting it go. Um, it only takes, like I said, one person to forgive, just as God in Christ offers forgiveness to whoever. So forgiveness has to do with the past. Reconciliation has to do with the present. It occurs when the other person recognizes what they've done, comes to the table, says, I'm going to change. Um, so it requires two to reconcile. And, and we could spend a week on each, each one of these things. But then third, trust has to do with the future. And it deals with both what risk you're going to take in that relationship again and, and how much you're going to open yourself up to. Um, and a person has to show through their actions that they're trustworthy again. Like if someone has broken trust, so there's a difference. Sometimes we think if I've forgiven someone, that means I have to, then everything goes back to exactly the way it was. Not necessarily. You get getting the, the difference there? Like if that person has shown themselves to, to not have changed and they could hurt you again, like that's not part of forgiveness. You can forgive them and keep yourself separate from them going forward in the future. And this is important to understand the difference between what's happened in the past, forgiveness, and what's going forward, trust, because sometimes the person who has done wrong against us will say, hey, you're, you haven't forgiven me because things aren't like they were. Like, no, no, no. We're talking, I forgave you for the past, but we're talking about trust going forward. And so I just um, wanted to bring that, because sometimes we confuse forgiveness with reconciliation, with trusting, and there is, there is a difference, and I think it's healthy for us uh, in this. So forgiving is not easy, and the second thing about forgiveness is that it's often a process. It's often a process. Um, and, and the process is not the same as refusing to forgive somebody. Just absolutely refusing, no, I'm not going to forgive that person. That's, that's different. But there's sometimes it's a process, and sometimes their only prayer is, God, help me to forgive that person. God, help me to forgive what, that wrong that they did against me. But if we're simply unwilling to forgive, uh, Jesus, he shares a parable, a story, is, when he was asked about forgiveness, how many times should I forgive the one who sins against me? Um, and they're like seven times. And he says 70 times seven. And then he gives this, uh, this really, I mean, incredible picture. And, and in the, the parable that Jesus tells, this is in Matthew 18. I encourage you to, to read it later. 
there was a guy who's in debt to the king. And in today's dollars, the debt is millions of dollars that he owes. And the, the king comes and, and is going to throw him in prison to pay for his debt. And he gets down and he begs for mercy. And the king gives him mercy. Millions of dollars just forgiven. That would be nice if we had some creditors like that, wouldn't it? Uh, so the, the, the servant goes out and there's another servant who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he comes to him and is like, hey, have mercy on me for the, this few thousand dollars that it owes you. And the guy who had been forgiven says no. The guy says no, has him imprisoned until the debt can be paid. And then Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. How many times have you ever heard the words, you wicked servant, come out of Jesus' mouth. You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant just as you, I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Those are strong, strong words. And when we look at the man who won't forgive and we're like, that guy is ridiculous. Like, look at how much he's been forgiven and he won't, you know, a few dollars won't forgive that one. And then, but if we hold something against somebody and choose not to forgive them, we have just entered the story as the servant who won't forgive. And in comparison to what Christ has forgiven us, we are the unforgiving servant. And how could we not, how could we not forgive knowing what Christ has done for us? Uh, when we forgive, we are displaying the beauty of our Savior. Because I mean, think about if, if you've ever um, forgiven someone and the only healing that it brought to your own life, like how different would our, our homes be if, if we forgave one another? How different would our, our church be if we forgave one another to uh, in a time where we we hold grudges and and people uh, unfollow people and unlike people and if you even say hello to someone who's been you know canceled you're also canceled like for a church to be a forgiving people is one of the greatest testimonies of the power of Jesus Christ that we can have in our neighborhood for if, especially if someone Let's say someone in the, in the church here lets you down, hurts you, and, and then maybe you mention it to somebody else who's not part of the church. And then a couple months later, that person is like, oh, you're still hanging out with the, those people? I thought they, like, yeah, they did, but I, I forgave them. And, and now you're back in relationship with them? Well, well yeah, as, as Christ has, has taught us, as Christ has done for us, that says something about the gospel um, that, that we need in our community today. And my prayer for us is that we would be a forgiven people who forgive. That we would be a forgiven people who forgive. Uh, in, on June 17th, I'm going to close with this. June 17th, 2015, a 21-year-old white man entered a Bible study at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And it was, he sat through the Bible study. There was 13 people present besides uh, this, this man and as the Bible study came to a close he took out a gun 
and shot 12 of the 13 people who were present, killing nine uh, African-Americans. Uh, I have, uh, a, I believe, a picture here of the, the victims. I will not name the, the shooter, but I will name the, the victims. Uh, the pastor, who was also a South Carolina state senator, Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, who was 87, Ethel Lance, DePayne Middleton doctor, Tawanza Sanders, the youngest person there, 26-year-old black man who tried to talk down the shooter and got in the way to defend others. Uh, Daniel Simmons, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Myra Thompson. Uh, the morning after the attack, the, the police arrested the gunman and in speaking with him, uh, they, his motive was uh, to, to start a race war. And it came out, uh, one of the ladies who was there who was not shot, he said, I'm not going sh to shoot you. I want you to tell the story. He put the gun to his own head, pulled the trigger, was out of ammunition, left. Uh, and so she was there, recounts everything. There was also some other survivors. And, and they talk about the, the racial slurs as, as he was, as he was uh, shooting them. And just a, a vile, vile act. Um, and the, as I, I was... I was as I was getting prepared for this morning, doing a little bit of uh, this research on that church, this was not the first act of violence against that church. In 1822, one of the church's co-founders, Denmark Vesey, was suspected of planning a slave rebellion. Uh, so this was an AME church in the South um, in the time of slavery. But he was suspected of, of planning a slave rebellion, and as a result, 35 people were hanged, including this co-founder, that date in 1822 was June, uh, the same date in June, June 17th. It was 193 years to the day that the shooter carried out the crime in, in, uh, a couple years ago. And it was intentional. Like there was a date, again, to stir up fear within the black community and within that church and, and across the nation was his intention. Um, two days later, the killer appeared in court for a bond hearing. So again, imagine you're the family two days later. Two days. Like, the grief is, is fresh. Um, like there's a, a documentary that was released uh, last year. You can find it on YouTube called Emmanuel. Uh, Viola Davis and Stephen Curry are the, the executive producers of that. Uh, but it, it goes, it recounts the, the story. So just two days later, killers brought to court, and it's actually through teleconference. He wasn't, he wasn't there in person. The people began, the, the, the families of the victims began to, to speak to the, to the killer. And just a, a couple of their, their statements. One, a daughter of one of the ladies who was killed says, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. Like that. Like they were expecting there to be riots. And, and uh, the wife of, of Mira Thompson, who was killed, uh, the husband, he made this comment. He said, I would just like him to know that, to, and this again, this is in that two days later, to say the th same thing that was just said, I forgive him and my family forgives him. But we would like him to take this opportunity to repent, repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can 
change him and change your ways. So no matter what happens to you, you'll be okay. Can, can you imagine the, just that depth of forgiveness? So that was two days later. Last year, uh, this man's name was Anthony Thompson, and he was interviewed, just kind of looking back, reflecting on that. And, and what he said after time away from the incident, he said, to be truthful with you, it was kind of instantaneously talking about what he said. I didn't want to go to the bond hearing, and after being coached to go, I went and told my children not to say anything. I just wanted to get there and leave as fast as I could. He said, I was getting ready to leave, and God said, get up. I have something to say. He heard, heard from God in that moment. And I had no idea what he wanted me to say. As I walked to the podium, the words just came to my mouth. It was like the shooter and I were the only two in the room. And all of a sudden, I just said, son, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to, to take this opportunity to repent. Repent and confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so that he can change it, change your ways. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. Thompson said that as soon as he said those words, his body began to tremble. And it was like all the rage and the anger and the burdens left his body. And he described feeling as light as a feather. It doesn't mean he didn't have pain after that or, or deep remorse or anger. But in that moment of forgiveness, he was as light as a feather. And he says, I experience God's peace like nothing else. The peace that surpasses all understanding it is real. It is real. And that, that first step of saying, of forgiving his wife's killer brought healing to himself. Brought healing to himself. And how, how could Anthony Thompson forgive like that? Because he had been forgiven. Because he knew Christ. He knew what he had been forgiven was able to then forgive the one who had taken what was most precious to him. And so as we conclude this morning, I ask if you just bow your head for a moment. And we, we typically take communion together, but uh, for the next uh, few weeks, we're going to change how we do communion um, just for the, the sake of being diligent with the spread of the coronavirus. But um, we still want to respond to what we've heard this morning. And as you think about how Jesus taught us to pray, when was the last time that you prayed for forgiveness and, and named what you needed forgiveness of? Maybe asking forgiveness for something uh, just very... Um, you know, very outward... Something you can see, but maybe it's something more inward. Maybe not loving God with all your heart. Maybe not loving your neighbor as yourself. When was the last time you prayed the prayer, forgive us, forgive me? Or maybe there is someone that you need to forgive, someone that you have held something against have not forgiven. Maybe someone at work has been telling stories about you. Maybe there was a parent who was abusive, maybe a friend who didn't keep her promise. Someone that you're holding a grudge against. Have you been able to wish them well?